Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast. I'm Gemma Cray and I'm chatting with Donald Foreman about his metadrama, The Cry of Granuel. So thank you so much for chatting with us. Um, it was a beautiful film, a real meta, <laughs> interesting, rich story. It was not what I expected it to be from uh, the description. It was mm-hmm. the relationships in it were, were really intimate for something that was meta and experimental. Can you just tell me a little bit about like and, and the idea? Like, I, I don't even know how to describe it in a, in a short way. Can you just tell me a little bit about how you came up with it? Yeah, well, I'd been interested in the idea of doing something right about Granuel for years and just kind of growing up hearing about the story and seeing that like it had a lot of cinematic potential. And then the more that I had read about the different stories around her and the history and a lot of the mysteries about what people, you know, there's not that many hard facts actually about her life. The more I kind of looked into all that, I thought what was most fascinating to me was that was the the different interpretations and how people over the years had put all these different kinds of meanings on her and um, that all that had kept shifting from century to century. So there was no like solid identity of of who she was. Um, so I thought that was kind of an interesting subject. And then, um, I don't know, it just sort of sprung up organically, this idea of uh, a filmmaker, an American filmmaker coming to Ireland to research a film about Grania Whale. And I suppose I was interested in, I started connecting that idea of the different versions of Grania Whale to this story of grief and loss and having these two main characters, uh, Moira, the American filmmaker, and Kat, who's a Irish academic who she gets to help her on her journey. And they're both dealing with uh, grief and the loss of their mother um, in very different circumstances and they very different ways of dealing with it. Um, and I thought just there was a thematic connection there in terms of how we deal with grief and the way that the same way we like project meanings and we project fantasies onto historical figures we do that with the people in our lives as well and we do that when we lose someone it's like we're losing a part of ourselves. we're losing what that person meant to us um so all those ideas just started swirling together for me and um and then I I guess I was excited with the idea of connecting that with a kind of unusual story structure and uh, kind of cinematic style where the the style of the film basically transforms as it goes along. It's like we kind of start in one film and end up in another film as we as the characters go west and sort of get more absorbed into the these fantasies of Grania Whale. I see that it was Arts Council, Council funded. Was it the authored works or a project or... This was um, this was the first film funded under the authored works scheme. Very polished and um, beautiful aesthetically, and the the performances are gorgeous throughout it. So it has a very solid feel to it. Yeah, yeah, that was a great opportunity because it's you know a bigger budget scheme than than anything the Arts Council has done before, and it was um, biggest budget I'd ever had. So it gave us the opportunity to shoot on film. We shot the whole thing on Super sixteen and to um 
be a bit more ambitious in terms of going to these wild locations. We had a great costume designer, Maeve Patterson, who used to work with John Borman on The General and people like that. And then we're also able to work with composers and do uh, um, this composer couple, uh, Nick and Alessia, did an amazing orchestral score for the film. So, yeah, it was a great opportunity to kind of branch out and be a bit more ambitious in the scope of the whole thing. And when it comes to um, the author work scheme, how does it work on the application process? So do you have to go with them to be like, this is my vision for the film. This is the mood boards. This is the sounding. This is who we're going to get involved. Or do you develop it under that scheme? Um, so like all other film schemes, I mean, you put in an application that kind of outlines the project. You have to give a good sense of the um the the visual style and the conceptual approach and all these things but um you don't need to have a script which is amazing so i was um you know on my first fiction feature out of here i uh developed a script in rehearsals with the actors improvising with the actors and that's a way that i really like to work and it can be difficult to get funding for projects work in that way because there's a certain leap of faith funders would have to take that you're going to kind of figure it out as you go but on this I just had like a six page outline of the project that had it had the overall arc but it was more took you through how the characters felt as it went along than what everything was scene by scene so you kind of understood who they were and the journey they went on but I wasn't always saying like they go here and they say this to each other or you know um, those kind of details so there was a lot that was left uh, open to the imagination at that point um but you do need to have like your your kind of crew and team in place and you got to have a detailed budget and kind of you know propose a schedule so you do have to go a certain way to saying like this is feasible for this amount and and then um they shortlist four of the projects and then you go in and have to pitch it and do an interview with the team of people and stuff so and do they sort of guide it in any way or is it left to you as the artist to figure out the momentum as it's unfolding um not really it's a very hands-off approach um so they're kind of there for you know to reach out to for advice when you need to but like I didn't they never asked to see the script or to see a cut uh, they don't give they're not looking to like give notes or have that kind of creative involvement it's very much about like giving you the freedom to make the film um, the way you want to they actually have a rule with that scheme that you're not allowed to get any additional funding from anywhere else because okay. that they think that that might compromise your your kind of artistic vision to have to answer to other funders who might have restrictions or requirements notes and stuff that's very interesting so that's that is that is interesting to know so like it, it is just on you and they wouldn't do like I'm you need it or anything like that but they wouldn't sort of have mentors to go oh no you have to cut this scene you have to do this so that's that like that's very interesting and a very different way of than than the other routes that are out there so did you so you were you were funding under that do you come up with a marketing plan as part of your application for this or like how does distribution work with something just while we're on the subject of the actual business of it how does yeah. the 
distribution work with something of this because it is a very watchable film like you can see it doing well in festivals and like like having its audience mm-hmm. um yeah I mean you do you write a kind of exhibition strategy as part of it um sort of outlining like where you think it can go and what the possibilities are and what you're aiming for and they have started in the last few years giving like after you get the funding to make uh to make the film they give you you apply separately and they give you like a little extra it's usually like 10 or 15 grand uh, exhibition support which is to help with marketing and submitting to festivals and you know making like posters and trailers and all that kind of stuff which is great because I know the first time I did a big project with them was my documentary before this the image you missed and I I hadn't I hadn't kind of produced and directed together and gone through the whole process just by myself before and I was not prepared for the costs that come after you finish the film I was like oh hang on now I've got to do this and this and this um, so they do offer support for that uh, separately, but it's very much kind of up to you then to like capitalize on that and make the most of it. And um, they're like, you know, most concerned that you make an interesting original thing and that it gets out there and finds an audience somehow. So like, it's a very interesting process and like, and it's a very unique film. How long did it take you to to come up with the script? So you you wrote a lot of the the narrative. You had a, a kind of emotional arc for all the characters, but you you would have developed the interactions more in rehearsal, or was that quite final? Yeah, it was. Um, so it was like the winter of twenty eighteen that I um, that I had applied. I kind of prepared this. Uh, six page outline and the whole pack and submitted to the arts council. And then I found out around Christmas, I got it. So then I spent most of that year. We end, we shot in like September, October, 2019. So um, up until that, I was working on doing more research, uh, fleshing out the, I basically fleshed that outline into like a 20, 30 page treatment that was more detailed and did location scouting with uh, um, my producer Edwina Forkin and um, cinematographer Diana Vadrascu. And then, um, and then when we cast it, we did we had like two weeks rehearsal, and that was when we kind of filled in a lot more of the dialogue. Um, and when I'd done that on my first feature, Out of Here, it was uh, there was a lot of improvisation and drawing from kind of the actors' experiences because it was about young people in Dublin and people were cast quite close to their characters. Um, but this was kind of different because, um, like, Dale Dickey, our amazing American actress, is, you know, she's not an experimental filmmaker from New York. And um, Judith Roddy, who played Kat the academic, is not an academic or an expert on Grand Whale or anything. So I couldn't just throw them in a room and say, like, you know, talk as those characters. Um, but it created a space where I could kind of uh, write scenes on the day and try them out and go home and rewrite and bring it back the next day and um, share the kind of research 
that I don't on Grand Oil with them and just talk about it and everybody gets familiar with it and um, familiar with each other. So um, it was a great way to just kind of refine it. And like, it was still, it was faster than what I would have liked. Like, I'd love to have what, you know, Mike Lee has and you've six months to work with the actors and delve into it. But um, so yeah, the final script kind of came out of that. There was a, there's a great chemistry between those two leads as well. Um, that uh, there's there like and it's it's very subtextual and there's that the bickering is very good and two sort of experts in their field coming at subject matter from two very different points of view and perspectives well I there's two things that I um I thought were hilarious in this film like that were just brilliant and that was uh Donald Clark, <laughs> uh-huh. that was some meta brilliance. I'd say you'd have people chortling at that. Um, and that was just after the line as well, where someone's like, I can't believe you're breaking up with me in, in IFI <laughs> screen number two. <laughs> yeah, which, which is where we launched it at the IFI last week was in cinema two. So um, I can imagine that chuckle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, especially that line. But um, yeah, and there's like a shot of staring right at the audience that was just like Cinema 2 looking at Cinema 2. Um, but yeah, and with Donald Clark, we like, I asked him to do it and he came into our rehearsals and I sent him a kind of biography of this fictional filmmaker so he could have an idea that, okay, this is who she is. This is the work she's done before. And then we just did like a half hour improvisation where I got him to interview her as if she was a real filmmaker like bully her and grill her well no he he started off much nicer (laughs) and then I had to kind of whisper in his ear and be like go on prod her on this and stuff um so I I I thoroughly enjoyed uh that scene and then um there was there was another scene that I thought was quite funny as well where it was the two leads and they were like oh but she's like a woman and who like who are these men to write about these women? like and it was like a, a conversation they were having back and forth about um men writing about women and not knowing and I was like that's kind of a very meta self-aware thing to write as a man writing a big plot about women writing about women um but done very authentically to the point where I was like I actually stopped and I was like but did he write it maybe he didn't and that is a woman writing it and I went back and checked I was like no he wrote it as well okay <laughs> I was like that's quite funny um and the meta-ness kind of seeping into it yeah yeah I mean it was one of the kind of the fun things about a film with this with this kind of uh structure and setup is that a lot of the questions and doubts that we were having in the making of it could kind of become a part of the story um so and also just you know little bits of research that I you know because I'm making a film about people researching a film about Grand Whale but I'm also researching a film about Grand Whale so like the the questions that I have or the things that I discover can kind of end up directly in the film and I think um and I think that that question you know Donald Clark also asks her in the cinema what gives you the right to make a film um about this subject like as an American and I think those questions come up a lot and I remember when I did 
the when I was interviewed by the Arts Council, you know, and um, had to pitch the project, that was one of the questions that came up was like, um, how do you feel about making a film about women being a man? Like, do you see any problem with that? Um, and I think with all those kind of things, it's like, you know, people are right to be skeptical and kind of hold things to a higher standard when it's like someone from out who's an outsider or doesn't have the same experience. Um, and sometimes you look at something, it's easy if it's done badly, then you can say, oh, it's because it's because of this. It's because it was an American or whatever. Um, but uh, but yeah, there's always exceptions. It was very enjoyable to watch. Um, and I would say that there'll be some people will get a fierce kick out of out of that. Did your arcs for anyone change so it's if it's something that you're kind of going through and you're experiencing and you're exploring it as you're filming which is really interesting to to get to do as a filmmaker because I do think like when actors touch things they can often just come alive and have their own independent um feeling so I'm just wondering did, did much change in the, the structure did you um chain did it did much deviate from your original plan or was it by the numbers as your application um i'd say it stayed pretty close but there was definitely like both in the shooting and the editing there was scenes that got rearranged or um kind of tweaked and changed on the day and the shooting some of that that was you know we shot it in 20 days under difficult circumstances we'd have problems with locations and weather and you got to like make stuff up on the day. Um, so there was those kind of revisions. And then, I mean, the structure of the film is kind of like, as well as the style changing, it's almost like the film starts to fall apart. It becomes a bit less like linear and coherent. Um, so but the most difficult thing is the emotion heightens in it. So like it, like it does reach a crescendo and the pacing and the the narrative as well in that. So I'm like, that's I can imagine that's quite difficult to, to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was definitely one of the biggest challenges was it's like you're trying to hold on to a certain emotional thread, even as kind of reality is falling apart around you and the characters are merging with their historical characters. Um, so getting that like the last third of the film probably changed the most in the editing because there's because it's kind of more non-linear and there was and there's more voiceovers and different elements like that kind of just got tweaked a lot in the editing and then there's some things like the the actors definitely brought certain things to it like with um with dale dickey i think it was kind of surprising as we went along. I noticed she brought, I think, more of like a, a a more a lighter, playful element to her character. I think when I'd first wrote it, wrote it, I envisioned her as like just a real kind of dark, brooding figure um, who is just dealing with this intense grief. And there's like elements of that, but um, Dale brought just like a this kind of like giddy. Uh, almost childlike excitement to, to some of it when she's getting into making the project, this sense of play. Um, and I think that helped just, yeah, because okay. you're trying to emit the tones as well, that there's, you know, there's like serious ideas, but you don't have to take it 
all that seriously either there's like a lot of silliness in there as well she's so but she's so charming like and and i think if if someone is sad the whole film is hard for us to get to know them as a as a unit as a character so yeah it really works like you're really on side with her and you and i like that's this is terrible <laughs> like you are like an american filmmaker you know <laughs> like oh god and then you know and then you're kind of like wrapped up in her world um in her vision and you are like brought along for the ride and then you know you can see like that back and forth with her co-star and and that kind of like power struggle where she's like okay well this is the research this is maybe not necessarily where you're going and it's more about a creative truth but it like those discussions back and forth you're definitely sold them more because they feel like rounded true characters in in a way mm-hmm. um, and and just tell me are they based on like I often think do you steal little pieces of truth from real life do you um are they based on like a like a cookie cutter researcher fleshed out like where do you get your characters from I um I draw a lot from real life but I tend to just take like a piece from here and a piece from there so um it's rarely that a character would be like one for one oh it's that person I know but there's aspects of them um so I've known a lot of academic and PhD types and there's just certain things that kind of stick in your head that you take and and um add to it and then um with uh with Moira with Dale's character there was um I would there was like a few American filmmakers that I kind of I had in mind is like, oh, she had a career like that person. And one particular inspiration actually was um, the French filmmaker Chantal Ackerman, um, who had a very, uh, very difficult, close relationship with her mother that kind of she worked out through a lot of her career. And then she actually um, committed suicide a few years ago, not long after her mother's death. Um, So um, she's like one of my all time favorite filmmakers and I was really um struck by that and I kind of that was one of the starting points was thinking like if you had someone like that who's so their life is so tied up in their mother that it's hard for them to imagine life without her that um for better and worse they're they're just kind of tied how would they find a way to kind of keep going to like you know um find a reason to keep living so I was kind of thinking that she's a character who could just stop that she could you know this could be the end of her but she's determined to uh to find a way to go through and then you have um the researcher who's so practical and and kind of forward thinking but then also fearful like has that kind of tentativeness where she's sort of afraid of change where she's going out with that ridiculous guy at the beginning <laughs> and that like hilarious exchange it happens really early on so it's not really a spoiler but then we kind of get to know her character and she feels true because she's so um kind of solidified in her character but like and like fearful of change and the, together there's a lovely dynamic between the pair was that something that happened organically or was that something that you were like no no this is this is what I'm gonna do um I mean, it was a very, I very, I had that kind of opposition between them very clear early on that um, 
they would have this kind of contrasting personalities, contrasting relationship to grief. And then it also comes out in their their ideas about Grania Whale and the history that they have these kind of opposing philosophies about it. Um, and so it was another w- way in terms of um, thinking through my own ideas about what I was learning and researching that I could kind of argue with myself through the characters, you know, and, and kind of play these different points of view off each other. It's very interesting. The Also, how do you, how, what has the response been to a film that is sort of about history buffs, probably a little bit for history buffs, um, but they're very, they're, <laughs> I know someone who's done historical fiction stuff and she's like, if things are not accurate, you get in a lot of trouble. Did you have to make sure everything was accurate? I know you're kind of talking about the whole point of it is that there's inaccuracies in the way that it's reported and and how do you perceive that information? But like, what has the response been from that group particularly? It's like, it's like kind of, you know, the horror group are, they know it and you don't want to get in trouble with them. Yeah. I mean, I haven't, I haven't had that much response in Ireland yet from, you know, it's, it's just gone on release in the IFI last week and um, now it's playing Triscoll and Cork and it'll be at the I cinema in Galway this Friday, but this is the first time in it's screening like a bit more widely in Ireland. So um, I haven't had any feedback from historians here yet. I'd be very, uh, very curious, but it was, um, I mean, I think the film is clearly set up that there's no, um, you know, when they get into like, reenacting and recreating some of these scenes there's no pretense that this is supposed to be historically accurate it's kind of playing with uh with the myths and the stories around her but i did you know in in terms of what the characters are saying i tried my best to stick to what seemed to you know what the facts surrounding it seemed to be but i found it really fascinating in researching it, how confused that was in a lot of things that I was writing about. Like there's several myths about Granuel that are talked about as if they are fact, you know, things like the story of um, Granuel going to Hoth Castle and stealing the nephew from the Lord of the Hoth Castle, which is like one of everybody's favorite stories. Um, there's similar stories be told about someone else from the O'Malley clan, I believe, like 200, 300 years before Grania Whale was around, that there's like versions of that story applied to different people. Or there's a story we use in the film of um, this uh, shipwreck prince, Hubert de Lacey or Hugh de Lacey, he's called. And that's often talked about as like a folktale and a myth about him, but from what I could figure out, it's actually from a novel from the 1850s about Grania Whale, this English romantic novel. So it wasn't like a, a kind of grassroots folktale told by people in the West of Ireland. Um, it was just in a book, but people have forgotten the book and now they just remember the story, you know? So these things kind of go back and forth like that. I found that fascinating. Is it? Is it possible to get lost it seems like there's so much information there and there's so much thing was there stuff that you would have liked to have used could you have kind of got lost in the research phase forever like in hindsight 
would you have streamlined it by <laughs> just taking certain texts? Um, I mean, I know for like the next few projects I do, I would love to try to keep it simpler. You know, I'd love to, um, like uh, Dale started in another film um, this year called A Love Song, um, which is a really great um, kind of two-hander romance with her and someone else. And it's like her and one other person in a trailer park, you know, just them, the relationship, everything, nothing else. And I was like, oh, that's, it'd be great to do something simple like that instead of, you know, but um, the way my mind works, I tend to like one thing leads to another and all of a sudden I'm having people in costumes running around Ackle Island. Um, but no, I mean, it was the nature of this that you had to kind of get lost in it a bit. And then, um, you know, especially in the editing, I just had to try to um, cut things back and be like whether it was essential or not. But I guess it is also a little different. A lot of films, I think, you know, if there's a character who's researching a subject, they make it so that it's only relevant to that person's story. It's like, what does this say about who they are? And I wanted to go a bit beyond that because part of the subject of the film is people keep making this history about themselves and not about what it is. Um, so I wanted, it's like all the, the historical stuff, the archival stuff. It also has a life of its own that isn't, um, that isn't just restricted to the characters. You know, they're kind of competing with each other at times. Um, so that's part of, I think the kind of wild nature of the film is like, sometimes you get lost in the history and you come back to the characters and vice versa. If you could have money and go back and do reshoots, what would you do? <laughs> Is there <laughs> anything that would change structurally, like substantial that would change or would you just kind of polish off bits? I mean, if I'd had the money to really like do, do stuff on pirate ships and, you know, like extras or have, um, you know, things on a bigger scale like that, probably it would have been fun to do that. And then, but I think the main thing when I think about like having more money, having more time is mm. what I would spend money on, you know? Cause I think shooting a film in 20 days, which is what I did in my first feature as well. And it's like, it's a very common for low budget films is so brutal. Like I think when it comes to awards, I think there should be a separate category for films that are like shot in 20 days. Cause you hear of, um, bigger budget films where they are like Paul Thomas Anderson or something will shoot for two weeks and then go, ah, that's not working. Let's start again. You know? Um, I'm sure um, producers are probably like, ah. <laughs> probably isn't like getting away with it. <laughs> There's probably real, also, you know, behind the scenes. or Tarantino spends like two, three weeks shooting one scene or something, mm. you know, to have the time to really like, um, go into the the details and not be rushed like that i think that's just it's like a different art form um but it does sound like this was because of the free-flowing nature of it and and the emotions it had to evoke was a tough edit so you were saying it wrapped in 2019 yeah um yeah the editing um took place on and off over about a year and a half and part of that was because 
it was like, yeah, we shot at the end of 2019. I took a few months off. Then I was just getting stuck into the editing in like February 2020. And then I got a bit distracted for some reason. Um, so, uh, so yeah, the pandemic kind of slowed things down. And then it was like tricky arranging post-production. And I had to get back to Ireland to do color and sound and getting the actors in for voiceovers and all this stuff. Um, but it was also just a slow edit because it was a bit, it was like closer to a documentary almost in terms of finalizing the structure and um, adding in voiceover elements. You know, there was a, there was quite a bit of writing in the editing like that as well. Fabulous. Is there a different version of this film that is like a different creative choice that you, like, and darlings that you had to kill? Um. There's a few, there's a few, you know, deleted scenes. There's a few uh, extra scenes that were fun. Um, but a lot of it, um, no, the film was, it was never like much longer. Maybe there was like a version that was 20 minutes longer or something. Um, so there's, uh, there's little moments and stuff um, that I, that I remember fondly. But, uh, but no, I mean, a lot of, especially because we were shooting on film, like every cutaway that I shot is in the film, pretty much, you know, there was, we kind of um, had to make do with what we had in some ways. Yes, it's a, it's not a cheap thing, <laughs> getting it, getting it uh, printed. But um, like it's it's a fascinating watch, and it's really it's a it's a really beautiful film, and it's it's lovely and and complex, and definitely one for the the film buffs. But it's a lovely spectacle to to absorb and to have wash over you as well. So when can we see it again? It's coming up in Galway, and it's coming up in Cork. Um, yeah, I was just in Cork. Um, it just uh started there on Sunday, September fourth. So it's playing for a few more days there at least um till the end of the week and then friday uh september 9th i'll be in galway to introduce it at the eye cinema and it's still in, in the ifi and irish film institute until next week as well and then hopefully um we might uh screen at a few more places regionally around the country and it's also a tour at the moment in australia um with the irish film festival there they're playing in uh five cities around australia throughout through september brilliant so we'll make sure to link to that in the description but thank you so much for chatting with us thanks john <laughs>